From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. The government did not shut down. The Senate late Thursday night did pass a one-week extension of funding so that we can all be here Christmas week for wrapping up the overdue appropriations for the current fiscal year. But it's going to be a bumpy ride, so buckle up. We have a lot to talk about as to where we are, what to expect in this omnibus spending package, what may be in it, what may not be in it, and maybe a little bit about how the week will play out, we think. So joining me to discuss all of that is an all-star team. I have the unstoppable Aiden Quigley, who covers appropriations at CQ Roll Call. Thanks for being here, Aiden. Thanks for having me. We have Lindsay McPherson, who covers the politics of appropriations day and night. Thanks again, Lindsay. Glad to be here, David. And we have Laura Weiss, who covers tax policy at CQ Roll Call. Thanks again, Laura. Yeah, thanks. Good to be with all of you. So we've got one week left. The Senate actually completed that stopgap measure a day ahead of time by some miracle instead of going down to the wire. Kind of a rare event on Capitol Hill, but they got it done. But there's still not much time now. Uh, We think we're going to see the final omnibus spending bill on Monday if there are no more delays, which are always possible. But that's the hope. Let's talk about what we know will be in this and 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 what where the tension points are what to expect in this thing it's about 1.7 trillion dollars of course in discretionary spending for the year Aiden let me start with you where do you think we are uh, how close are they yeah so uh, earlier this week uh, three of the four corners announced uh, a top line spending agreement um, details are under wraps until Monday when we'll see the full omnibus but Widely expected, there'll be $858 billion of defense spending, which is the number laid out in the defense authorization bill. Which has, which has had bipartisan support for a while now, and that's a roughly 10% increase over, the, over last year. So significant bump up for defense here. Yeah, significant bump up for defense. Uh, we'll see a, a less, less high level of non-defense spending the Democrats would have wished for, uh, but you know, as I mentioned earlier, we're still waiting to see exactly what's in it, but definitely major progress in the past week, I think it's safe to say, and we're trending toward an omnibus passing next week. But Lindsay, there are still some unresolved disputes, and one that you uncovered just yesterday, I think, was was the unsettled nature of border security funding. Right. So the Biden administration did not request this as a part of their emergency supplemental, but in their anomaly request, they asked for $3.5 billion for basically to help manage the situation at the border, you know, Title 42, this public health directive um, that had stopped migrants from being able to seek asylum in the U.S. during the pandemic is about to be lifted. There's already more migrants coming up to the border and, they need more funding, they say, to manage that. Um, and then Republicans so far are resisting adding that as emergency funding, which is what Democrats are trying to do. I don't know if they're trying to go for 
the Democratic appropriators are trying to go for the full $3.5 billion, but they're probably looking at least a couple billion for that, and emergency funding. And Republicans say, well, I, we don't want to spend emergency funding on management when we can't get you guys to agree to regular appropriations for deterrence measures in the Customs and Border Control um, regular DHS funding bill. They want to deterrence policy to stop the flow of migrants, or at least to uh, stem it. And so they kind of have a dispute over that at the moment, and they haven't figured it out. Yeah, because Democrats know they're not going to get as much non-defense spending as they want overall. But one way to cheat on that a little bit for them, right, is to get this supplemental emergency spending. And Biden did is pushing for several billion dollars more in that for border security. So that's why that that really could could uh, determine how much overall for homeland security they get. And as you say, there's still this ideological battle between the parties over how best to do border security, right? And whether, you know, obviously Republicans, there's still some pushing for the border wall versus Democrats seeking more agents and, and cameras and that kind of stuff. And so it's it's still a mess as to as to how that money should be spent and how much is really needed. An interesting fight. I mean, I can't believe that's going to tie up the whole bill over a few billion dollars, right? But you never know. I mean, I suspect they will come to some conclusion on it, certainly, and it won't be like something that's dragging things out next week. But it is significant because if they don't get this money somehow, you know, it's just only going to create more of a crisis at the border. And, you know, this has been a big thing, particularly for House Republicans to, you know, bash the Biden administration over. And it's going to be a big fight in appropriations next year with House Republicans in the majority. Um, they are going to want to, like you said, like start talking about the border wall again and other measures. And that's going to be a lot harder. So, you know, whatever compromise they can or cannot come to on this was so just a minor foretelling of what's to come in appropriations negotiations next year. And another fight we know of that, that's been brewing for some time, but that might be resolved now is over veterans' health care money, right? Uh, there's th- there's this tension where Democrats wanted to sort of wall that off so it doesn't it doesn't count as part of their overall allocation for non-defense spending. They want to treat veterans' health care separately, and Republicans resist that. Uh, because they see that as a backdoor to just pumping up non-defense spending overall. If you do that, if you if you if you create that wall, that's been a big a big point of tension too. How is that shaping up? So Senator um, John Tester, who is a senior appropriator, he leads the Defense Appropriations Subpanel, but he is the regular chairman of the Veterans Affairs Committee, said that he had been recommending that they split some of the veterans health funding between discretionary and move some to mandatory. He would never tell me what the exact split was, but he did say the framework agreement that they reached on Tuesday does move some of the funds to mandatory. So that will ease some of the pressure on the non-defense discretionary top line by having some of that veterans health funding, which is a significant increase. um, And it's continually the cost of that healthcare is continuing to rise. Um, to get that out, uh, some of that out of discretionary. We just won't know until Monday exactly how much of that is being shifted. Yeah, by making it, by calling it mandatory, you, you remove it from the budget pie we're talking about that appropriators control. So that that frees up more room for other, other non-defense spending, which helps Democrats. 
to the extent you you put the the veterans into mandatory to the extent it's discretionary it's part of the big budget pie here that they're all fighting over so that might have been resolved we're not sure but but it sounds like they're, they're they they sort of found a compromise on that so they're ironing these things out we should also remind folks though that in addition to the regular appropriations here President Biden has requested something like $85 billion in additional emergency money, at least a good portion of which we expect to see in this bill on Monday. I mean, we're talking about huge amounts for disaster relief for for the hurricanes in Florida and Puerto Rico. We're talking about something like $37 billion for Ukraine uh, to get them more weapons and support in the war against Russia. And of course, Democrats, the White House is hoping for about $10 billion in, in COVID aid for you know health concerns, which Republicans resist. All of those battles are playing out too. Do we have any sense as to, you know, I don't think we're going to see $85 billion, any sense as to how that's shaping up? Yeah, so it's definitely unclear where that number will fall, but I will say it is pretty clear that there will not be COVID funding uh, in there. Republicans have been resisting it you know, multiple times that the administration has uh, proposed it in the past few months that it's just hard for me to see that, uh, you know, them giving ground on on that specific topic. But I, I we will see Ukraine aid and some level of disaster relief uh, is definitely likely. Okay. So those, those would be huge additions too that uh, will be in this bill that we'll be looking for. And of course, the other piece of, of year-end legislation, there's always a push at the end of the year to get extensions of all kinds of tax breaks that lawmakers want to stick into this thing. But it's looking not so hopeful this year. Uh, And Laura, what's going on there? Can we expect any tax credits, tax breaks to make it into this package? And what's the resistance this year? Yeah, so this is something that tax writers have been talking about for months and months now, really looking at this as an opportunity to move a lot of you know, bipartisan goals on tax. But as we know, moving tax legislation is always incredibly hard. And what basically happened here is um, it got caught up in, you know, a Democrats versus Republican uh, dispute on what they wanted to see in this package. Um, Republicans wanted to include, um, you know, some business tax breaks that phase down under their 2017 tax law. Um, in particular, a bigger benefit for companies' research and development spending. And, you know, that one had bipartisan support. I think, uh, you know, there was interest on both sides in that. But Democrats um, ended up, you know, communicating that they would not do business tax breaks without the child tax credit. And that's been a priority for Democrats uh, that's been really tricky now since their 2021 expansion of that benefit lapsed. And this was the big expansion of a child tax credit that converted it into monthly payments that seemed to be pretty popular with Democrats. And they said it would it cut child poverty by something like 40 percent, according to their calculations. Kind of a big deal for them still. And but it did lapse last year. Right. And so that's sort of been their number one priority is to restore that. But Republicans don't like it. Right. It's a huge it's a huge cost. Right. Yeah. So they, you know, Democrats, especially some have said they've they've looked at options, but that Republicans have just said that they will not negotiate at all in conversations involving the child tax credit. You know, Republicans have said 
basically the Democrats were asking for too much here. And so um, that really has made the negotiations hit a total impasse. And now time is really short. Tax legislation is complicated. It doesn't appear to have any path at this point for a bigger package. And along with those things, it means traditional extenders, smaller provisions won't be getting in there. Things like charitable giving incentives that are widely bipartisan, don't have a path. Um, what could happen um, is a bipartisan retirement bill could make it in there. Um, some people are really optimistic about that at this point. Others are, you know, sort of uncertain, but uh, we'll see where that lands. What would that do? Yeah, so that would basically um, create um, incentives to promote private retirement savings. So um, change the law to make it so that people tuck more away in 401ks, workplace savings plans, um, have various you know incentives for that. It's paid for. It's widely supported. So the only question there is if anyone views that as a tax title that they could you know want to tack more onto, that could drag that down. But it looks like there's a lot more optimism around that at this point. But that's sort of where things stand. And I guess so the basic tension there on the tax breaks was Republicans wanted these business tax breaks and the Democratic position is we won't allow that unless you give us the expanded child tax credit. Right. And for the and that was a no go for Republicans because they know it's really expensive. And some of them, I think, see it more as a welfare payment because it's not it's not connected to any work requirement, right? So it's just sort of money out the door every month. Yeah, I mean, you know, Republicans will say that they have supported this in the past. They did expand the child tax credit in their 2017 tax law. But, you know, in the last couple of years, it's been a signature policy for the Biden administration. So um, I think there are some politics there as well. But, um, you know, I think that both sides, you know, there was a sense that tax had to get done, um, but it turned out to not be the case, we think. Uh, we'll see for sure. But, you know, we're looking into next year, Republican majority in the House. Um, there's a delay in picking the next Ways and Means chairman, probably until after the Speaker's race. It's going to be a bit until probably things are going with the committee, let alone even the, you know, remote possibility of tax legislation. It's it's really, you know, lawmakers think that'll be a tough path. So um, that does leave some tax priorities that were, you know, companies have pressed hard for that, you know, advocates of, you know, anti-poverty advocates have pushed hard for, and just a lot of other provisions that members wanted for their districts um, sort of left in the lurch here if things go as they, you know, appear to be going at this point. And you've also written about a, an effort to fix a social security problem for public employees, right? Is that is that something we should look for? Yeah. So at this point, it's not looking likely. Um, that is the windfall elimination provision, which basically reduces social security benefits for um, teachers, firefighters, other public workers with government pensions who also earned, you know, social security covered income. Um, Ways and Means Chairman Neal and Ranking Member Brady have been working on that for years. There's been a lot of momentum in the House, but um, there still appear to be barriers. Neal and Brady do not yet completely agree on how to fix that because they would 
basically get rid of the current provision, but put in something new so that, um, you know, pensioners aren't getting outsized benefits. And, um, you know, there also maybe it looks like challenges in getting that through the Senate uh, in the cost of a fix. And that's something that, you know, people that impacts have been trying to move for 40 years. And they really viewed, you know, with Congressman Brady retiring at the end of this year, this as their shot. Um, So I'm sure there will be a lot of effort for that in the next Congress. You know, in the coming years, there's wide belief that Congress has to deal with Social Security's finances in general. So I don't think that issue is going away. But, you know, this this was sort of a moment advocates really viewed as critical. And there's simply not agreement, at least, uh, you know, as of recent days. Okay. So not a lot to expect on the tax front. Uh, We'll see about that retirement package. But we should uh, talk again about the the basic struggle over appropriations that, that lingered all this year, which was this basic partisan fight for so-called parity, how much of an increase for defense versus how much of an increase for non-defense. That had stalled negotiations for a long time. And for you know recent years, Republicans were the one pushing for parity because they were trying to pump up defense, saying, at least give us as much of an increase for defense as you, you guys want for non-defense. This year, things got sort of reversed where it's the Democrats pushing for parity because defense has already been being pumped up and and Democrats want to match that with non-defense and Republicans are resistant. Aiden, can we tell yet? We don't have the bill yet. Can we tell who won that fight? Because I don't know, the early indications seem like the Republicans are going to get more of what they wanted there than the Democrats. Yeah, that's definitely what all signs point to. Uh, you know, House appropriators are saying things like, this was the best deal we could get and no bill is perfect and and kind of signaling that uh, they weren't quite able to reach the level of non-defense spending that they were hoping for. You know, Republicans have been saying that Democrats, you know, got billions and billions in, you know, non-appropriation spending uh, through reconciliation and pandemic aid uh, in the past couple of years. Um, while also saying that with the war in Ukraine and, you know, a growing threat from China, that defense really needed to to go up. But I think, yeah, you know, we, we, we have to wait and see a little bit, but all signs are that uh, Republicans did kind of, the final omnibus will likely be closer to the Republican position than the Democrats on, on that issue. There's some politics there um, that I want to point out too, because basically, you know, Republicans had been broadcasting this for, you know, months. So it was pretty clear, like, Shelby made clear from uh, he's the appropriations ranking member in the Senate, Richard Shelby, that they would want more of a plus up for defense than non-defense this year because of inflation and the Pentagon budget and the war in Ukraine, all these things. And so Democrats knew it was going to be a tough negotiation and they got down to the wire here and they're basically set, like Republicans weren't moving off of their position on the non-defense and getting it to parity. And basically Democrats were threatening them with a year long CR, but Republicans called their bluff and they said, well, you know, like no one wants a year long CR. They've never passed a year long CR for all 12 bills. That's the Um, stopgap spending measure that would just put things on autopilot. Right. Right. And they wouldn't have got a non-defense increase under a year long CR. It keeps things funded at current levels. There could have been some anomalies. So also then the, knowing that they're about to go into a Congress with a House Republican majority, that they want to cut overall 
um, discretionary funding, particularly on the non-defense side. They, they, Democrats had to realize the political situation and take what they could get, like Aiden said, but just wanted to kind of give some of the politics there as well. Um, yeah. And I couldn't help but notice Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader, already sort of crowing about this uh, the other day, saying that, <laughs> you know, he was basically saying on the floor, the Democrats sort of had to realize that we weren't going to we weren't going to allow for that huge non-defense increase they wanted and it was never going to happen. And he made it sound as though it didn't happen and and that he sort of won that fight. We don't know for sure because we haven't seen the numbers, but um, Democrats have not exactly been disputing that. So it's it was a good indication to me that Democrats essentially had to cave on their fight for more non-defense spending. We'll see exactly how they fare on Monday if, in fact, we get a bill Monday. That's what they're hoping for, but there's no guarantee. And so before we go, guys, I just we should talk about the timing of this thing because it's going to be a busy week. They have until next Friday, the 23rd, brushing right up against Christmas Eve to get this done before money runs out. We know how long things take in the Senate. It always takes longer than everybody thinks in the Senate to move anything. How is this going to play out? We know the bill is going to start in the Senate, and that is going to be the key vote because that's where they need the bipartisan support. You need 60 votes in the Senate, and Democrats only have 50, so they need that bipartisan support in the Senate. The House, they can ram it through on the party line if needed, right? But but the Senate is, is key. How long is it going to take in the Senate? How do we see this playing out over the next several days? Yeah, so the plan is uh, it will be introduced in the Senate on Monday. There are some conservative Republican senators who really do not like omnibus bills, big spending bills, who are going to uh, likely try to drag things out a little bit and make some of their points. But they, it seems like they can only drag it out till Thursday. So I would expect a Thursday Senate passage and a Friday House package, a passage, and then we'll all be going home uh, on Christmas Eve. Everybody agree with that? We're home for Christmas? I, that's certainly the goal, but it's, it all depends on the filing happening Monday. And we have seen time and time again in these negotiations that they have a goal for when they're going to wrap things up, and it sometimes drags beyond that. So if they delay that filing on Monday into Tuesday, that sets everything back. That gives the ability of those senators, because they have procedural steps they have to get through, um, to actually hold things up beyond Thursday. So if, if it's filed Monday, they can get it done by Thursday in the Senate, which is Mitch McConnell said he wants to be out of town after that. They don't want to stay on Friday. Um, and if it's delayed at all, then yeah, those senators, their power becomes a lot more clear and it could create some havoc. So we'll see what happens. If it's delayed till Tuesday, it could theoretically take the Senate until Friday to pass it. Could the House pass it the same day? Depending on the timing, it's a big bill. They've got to like you know get the paperwork over and all that. Um, the House yeah. is going to have to go to the Rules Committee because this is not going to get a two thirds vote needed to get you know go under suspension of the rules. So that takes some time. So yes, they can do it the same day, but it's it'd be ideal hard. To have, yeah, it'd be ideal to have it a day before they want to vote on it. So. And if anything slips a little, it is conceivable that Congress will be here over Christmas weekend to finish this up. We should say the money would run out Friday at midnight, um, but it doesn't seem like there would really be the risk of a shutdown because over the Christmas weekend, 
government is closed anyway. They could really fudge it till the following Monday. As long as they had it wrapped up by the following Monday, they're probably okay without any real shutdown happening. It would ruin all of our lives, of course, because we'd be working through Christmas weekend and Congress would be stuck here and we'd be stuck here. But in terms of public impact, I think there'd be there'd still be no shutdown and they could still get it done. But we'll see what happens. Strap in. It's going to be a long, long, bumpy week, but this is the finale for appropriations and that's what we live for. So that's where we are right now. That's what we can expect in the coming week. But that's all the time we have for now. Thank you all for being here. Aiden Quigley, Lindsay McPherson, Laura Weiss. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, David. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. Keep up to date with everything in this omnibus. You can dial up CQ.com or RollCall.com. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>